0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the My Little Eater podcast. Super, super excited to talk about today's topic. It is all about organic food for babies, what you need to know about it, And I'm going to weigh in on what it says about you as a parent and give you my very best dietitian and mom advice around this topic, because this could be a really confusing topic and dividing topic. So I am going to make this super clear for you, and I really think you're going to love the very balanced approach I take to this so that you can make your own decision for what's right for you and your family. So we often see organic foods are rampant in the, you know, baby food category. For the most part, I mean, I find that when you walk down the baby food aisle, we see like many, if not most of the packages tell the organic label. And soon enough, you know, the impression um, kind of weighs on us that babies have to have organic foods. And that's kind of all we come to know in our mind is that organic food equals baby food or baby food equals organic food. And if we're not giving them organic, we're doing something wrong or it's not healthy for them. But it's helpful to know always why is there such a push for organic for babies and to question, is it actually better? So we know, you know, organic food's more expensive and not everyone... You know, can afford it or has access to it. So how much of a priority should we make in our budget to buy organic? Should we worry if our baby's not getting organic food all the time or even sometimes? So let's just chat about this today in detail. I'm going to start by defining the difference between organic and non-organic food. So first off, a definition of what is organic. Organic are basically foods that are grown with no synthetic fertilizers or pesticides and without the use of any GMOs, so genetically modified organisms, and they're based on a type of farming that's natural and that helps replenish nutrients and fertility of the soil so that the food is grown in an environmentally friendly way. Now there can still be pesticides used on the organic crops. So pesticides is a catch-all term for herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides that are used to protect crops from molds, insects, and diseases. But the repellents that are used for organic crops are ones that are found in nature. So they're also known as biological pesticides. Now, when something is quote-unquote certified organic, that means that it's been grown and handled and produced according to strict standards that are enforced by third-party organizations that regulate this kind of thing. There are, you know, a lot of farms, especially small local farms that use organic farming practices and use only organic fertilizers or pesticides, I should say. But because it's a very costly process and because it's not actually being, um, you know, regulated and monitored by this third party organization, it's not always going to be certified organic on the label. Now I also want to state that just because you can have a natural pesticide, it doesn't mean that it's harmless. So for example, arsenic and sulfur, those are banned from being used or they can only be used in trace amounts that are deemed to be safe. So even if, like I said, it is um, a natural pesticide, it doesn't necessarily mean that it can be used in organic farming practices. And even if it's used, it doesn't mean that it's like 100% foolproof, safe, no matter how much the quantity is. So how does this all differ from conventional or non-organic foods? Well, conventional farmers use man-made or synthetic pesticides. So when farmers spray pesticides, any pesticides, this can leave residue on produce or crops that we eat. And according to the USDA, organic produce carries significantly fewer pesticide residues than conventional produce does. So what are the risks of consuming these pesticide residues and is it worse for babies and toddlers? That's the next question I want to dig into. Well, what's important to note is that No matter what the pesticide is, your risk depends on the toxicity of the substance and the amount of exposure. So you can be harmed or you can experience negative health effects from toxic amounts of a pesticide by consuming or being exposed to very high amounts over a short period of time. So that's called acute overexposure. And in those cases, you'd experience things like poisoning and, you know, it could result in some long-term effects like cancer or reproductive issues. Now, you can also have lower cumulative doses of exposure over a long period of time, which has been associated with health issues such as respiratory problems, skin conditions, depression, birth defects, uh, again, cancer, and neurological disorders such as Parkinson's disease. Now, just as I have discussed in depth on my blog post and podcast on mercury in fish for babies and toddlers, infants and children, as well as pregnant and nursing mothers, are extra sensitive to pesticide residues and uh, different chemicals in the environment, and they are at an increased risk of experiencing negative health effects from, again, these exposures to pesticides and foods. Exposure during the development of a baby and a young child, for example, can be particularly dangerous because it's affecting hormone regulation and brain. Brain development, which is obviously so crucial and is happening for the first time and at rapid paces, especially when they're developing in the womb and in those early years of childhood. Now, how are these pesticide levels controlled? Well, Health Canada, the EPA, so the Environmental Protection Agency, and the EU, which is the European Union. Etc., you know, plus more. All of the countries kind of have strict levels with regards to the amount of pesticides that can be used on both organic and non organic crops, just to ensure that they're within the limits of safe consumption for humans. Levels of pesticides that are considered safe to human health are determined based on the toxicity of the pesticide, and these levels are called maximum residue limits or. MRLs. Now in Canada, for example, Health Canada scientists have to study and they have to examine products before they're approved to make sure that they're within these MRLs. And it's claimed that these MRLs are set at a level that are far below the amount of pesticide residue that could cause health concerns. And To be honest, yes, they do take into account the entire population, which includes infants, children, and pregnant women. Now, here's the thing. There's a few nuances, and if you dig into the research a little more, you'll discover that MRLs aren't necessarily set at the same level across different countries. So these MRLs for pesticides on food are actually generally weaker in Canada than the standards established by the U.S. or the... European Union or even Australia, for example. So in Canada, the default is set at 0.1 parts per million, which is less restrictive than the default level of 0.01 parts per million in other countries. And MRLs in the EU, European Union, can be set even lower than 0.01 parts per million for substances that are identified with exceptionally high toxicity. In Australia, as another example, they sometimes don't allow any detectable levels of pesticide residue if there hasn't been an MRL that's been set for that pesticide or crop combination. So if there's been no testing, it's not allowed. So as you can see, some pesticides can be banned altogether in one country while still being used in others. Since organic foods generally have fewer accepted pesticides that are allowed and stricter standards, I mean, this is definitely something to consider when deciding if based on where you live or where you purchase from, if buying organic is a priority for you. Now, while MRLs are there to set limits and protect especially our kids, there have also been problems reported with the fact that not all products are actually being tested regularly enough. So the USDA, for example, they state that it has a focus on testing foods most likely eaten by infants and children, but no foods are actually tested on an annual basis. So for example, baby food was last tested in 2013 and baby formula was last tested in 2014. Additionally, some pesticides are not even tested at all, such as glyphosate. And you know, despite that being the most widely used pesticide in the US, it's not even tested at all. And here's where I wanna talk a little bit more about the controversial topic of glyphosate because it's important that you know about it and you will probably hear a lot about it at some point, if not already have. So glyphosate is the active ingredient in the herbicide Roundup. And it's the, like I said, most widely used pesticide in the US and beyond. And it's much more of a concern in in conventional crops. It's heavily sprayed on, of course, a variety of crops, but especially on soybeans, corn, cotton, and canola that were genetically Engineered to resist glyphosate, so that's why they use that pesticide on them. And high levels of glyphosate can also be found in several grains and beans, such as oats and chickpeas. Now, as with many pesticides, the health effects of low dose chronic exposure to glyphosate through food aren't fully understood, and that's just the truth. But some research does point to the suggestion that glyphosate is linked with the risk of non Hodgkin's lymphoma, with liver and kidney problems, and that it disrupts the body's hormone systems. Now the EPA, again, the Environmental Protection Agency, says that again, the amounts of glyphosate allowed on food are not harmful, though it is technically listed as a possible carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Some people argue that the tolerance levels that are set by the EPA might be too high. And again, when considering the consumption by, you know, the more vulnerable populations like babies, pregnant women, children, it's definitely questionable. And I can't deny that, especially with the fact that they're not actually testing for glyphosate at all, doing what's reasonable to avoid it does make total sense. For example, in 2018, the EWG, which is the Environmental Working Group, tested higher levels of glyphosate than what's considered safe for children in almost three quarters of the oat-based popular baby and toddler foods. So again, this is something to really just be aware of. It is a very controversial topic, but it's definitely something to consider when you're weighing out the benefits, the pros and cons of buying organic versus not. So I guess this leads me to the question, should you choose organic food? Well, like anything, we've got a way out, again, the pros and cons. So let me just kind of summarize a little bit of what we've talked about, but also go into a few more pros and cons. So generally, if we're going to look at the nutritional benefits, just strictly, you know, how many vitamins, how many minerals are you getting for organic versus non-organic foods? Generally, the research doesn't show that organic food provides any, you know, major nutritional benefits over non-organic foods. Some research has found higher levels of phenolic compounds and certain vitamins in organic produce. But that being said, the studies have been really short term. Sometimes I think as short as like seven days. they are observational studies and at the end of the day, they're unreliable. So if there's a benefit to eating organic, It can actually take much longer to surface, and so as with most things, more research is required. It's really hard to say whether there's a benefit or not if you haven't tested it thoroughly. So I can't really fully say that, but from what we know right now, we don't know of any benefit um, from eating organic versus non-organic on a nutritional basis specifically. Now, as I did mention earlier, organic fruits and vegetables do have smaller amounts of pesticide residue than, you know, produce that was grown conventionally. So that is a point for, you know, buying organic. That's a pro for that. But as I also mentioned before, the residues on food, whether they're organic or non-organic, they don't exceed these government safety thresholds. So generally speaking, everything is safe, even if it's present, it's within safe limits that have been tested Except, except for glyphosate, which we can argue might or, or even does exceed the limits because they're not testing it regularly. It's not even really being monitored. And another thing, even with organic foods, there's no real difference in arsenic or cadmium levels compared to non-organic foods. And those, by the way, you know, arsenic, cadmium, those are both known carcinogens. So just because something's organic doesn't mean that it protects you from all the potentially harmful residues that are out there. Of course, we know organic foods are way more expensive than non-organic foods, This is partly due to the fact that natural fertilizer is more expensive and that they're using more labor-intensive farming practices. But you know what? This might be important to certain families who are concerned and want to support environmentally friendly practices. And then finally, you know, you'll hear some people say, well, I notice a difference in the flavors and the taste of organic foods. For example, an organic strawberry versus a non-organic strawberry. So at the end of the day, here's what I want you to know. Every single thing that we put in and on our bodies has a good and a bad side, depending on the quantity, the frequency of consumption, like the frequency of of eating it, and how hard we look, to be quite honest. If we dig deep enough, we will find something bad about everything, and we'll find something good about everything. I also want you to know that fruits and veggies are healthy in and of themselves and avoiding buying produce altogether because it's not, you know, organic is not the answer and it can actually lead to worse health outcomes. So really there's like a, a, an hierarchy of importance that you need to look at, you know, fruit and vegetables need to be part of the diet. It just is the basis of a healthy diet. So to avoid them is actually putting you at more of a health risk than it is to buy non-organic fruits and veggies. Also, next point I want to say is buying organic will definitely have benefits for many families who have the means to think about this kind of thing. So it can be a great way to level up the health of an already healthy diet because that's really important. Make sure your base diet's healthy. Then if you can, sure, why not? Go ahead and level it up even more and it makes sense to think about it if it's within your means, right? But... The other point I want to say is that buying organic can be a detriment for many families for whom this decision, you know, might cause mental stress or financial difficulty because the negative effects of, you know, maybe a strained family dynamic or financial hardship or lack of time, lack of energy, especially for new moms to buy and prepare organic food, that is worse for you and your child's health than the potential benefits of organic food. So any decision that you make is always going to be the right one for you and for your family. And I really want you to know that it does not matter at the end of the day which one you choose. It says nothing about A, how much you love your child, B, how much you prioritize their health, and C, whether or not you are a good parent. So please know that this is a very individual decision to make. And you have to take into account the greater, the larger context of your life, of what capabilities you have, and what effects that's going to have on your life as a result of choosing or not choosing organic foods. Now, some practical things that I think every family should take into account, should try and do in order to kind of find some balance is this. First, wash fruits and veggies really well with a produce scrubber. I always recommend this, especially when you're serving food to your babies. Just grab like a, you know, like any kind of kind of thick bristled brush. Um, You can get one specifically for produce. You can get any cleaning brush. Doesn't matter as long as you haven't used it before. And scrub your fruits and veggies. Even if you're, you know, feeling like I've already washed it, scrub it. It's going to help significantly reduce the pesticide residue even more. And... If you aren't able to buy all organic, so if that's not a feasible thing, which let's be real, it's not for me, it's not for most people, then even just knowing that if you replace some of your you know, non-organic produce with organic ones, it's going to have some benefits. So what you can do is just focus on purchasing organic for the bottom 15 of the Environmental Working Group's 2021 Shopping Guide, which I'm gonna explain more about in just a little bit, but just keep in mind that there's gonna be certain foods that you can focus on purchasing organic and other ones you really don't have to worry about if you're trying to find that balance. And then another tip is to choose frozen organic fruits and veggies more often or look for them if you can because that's going to be a more feasible way for, you know, many families since they tend to be better priced and they can last in the freezer for months and months. So you're not going to, you know, be afraid of it going bad in the fridge and you wasted all this money on it. And then the last tip I have for you is you can also just try buying fresh, you know, organic fruits and veggies when they're in season and then subbing them for something else when they're out of season. And that's just another way to kind of rotate through different foods and and a way to help with costs. So let's just dive into what I mentioned before. And this is the EWGs or the Environmental Working Group's 2021 Shopper's Guide to Pesticides in Produce. So what this is, it's basically something that's updated each year but it ranks the pesticide contamination of 47 I think it's 47 popular fruits and veggies based on samples that were tested by the USDA now i want to mention here that if you're not eating products made in the US or you're not from the US then you know the results of you know pesticide residue on the fruit that you are eating may not be exactly the same. But we can kind of use this as a guide to help us sort through which fruits and veggies are likely to have more pesticide residue than others. So the samples that they tested, what they do is they actually test it the exact same way that people tend to eat them at home. So for example, um, if you eat something with an inedible peel, like maybe uh, an orange, they will peel it off before they test it. Um, and those with an edible peel, they rinse it under cold water like many of us do at home anyway they drain it, and then they test it. So what I've done is I'm going to, I've listed this all in a blog post, so I want you to check that out. You can check out the link in the show notes, but also I'm gonna list out right now all of the foods ranked in order of the least amount of residue to the highest amount of residue. And so if you really want to make the splurge an effort to buy organic, then focus on doing it for the bottom 12 or so. So on the blog post, I've highlighted them in red for you. I'm also going to create a freebie for you to download this really easily and just have if you want to take it with you when you go grocery shopping. But yeah, focus just on those ones because those are going to be the ones that have the highest amount of pesticide residue. And then, you know, you can decide based on price or frequency, of how often you eat something or other factors, what you wanna do with the others that are sort of in the middle of the list. So let's just start with the least amount of residue produce, and then I'm gonna move on to, you know, I'm gonna continue down the list to get to the most amount of residue found on these types of produce. So let's start with the least amount. So we've got avocados, sweet corn, pineapples, onions, papaya, frozen sweet peas, eggplant, asparagus, broccoli, cabbage, kiwi, cauliflower, mushrooms, honeydew melon, and cantaloupe. So basically, if you're purchasing these as just like non-organic regular produce, you're fairly safe in that, you know, there's not a lot of residue on there anyway. So those are the ones that you don't have to like splurge and, and buy organic for. Okay. Now we're going to kind of go into the middle category. So I want you to just discern for yourself what's going to work for you. Maybe you do it sometimes, maybe you don't do it at all. But here's kind of what falls in the middle of the list. We've got mangoes, watermelon, sweet potato, banana, summer squash, winter squash, carrots, oranges, snap peas, raspberries, grapefruit, tangerines, green beans, plums, cucumbers, blueberries, lettuce, cherry tomatoes, and potatoes. All right, and then now we're going into the last 12, which are going to have the highest amount of residue on them and the ones you may want to consider buying organic. Those are strawberries, spinach, kale, collard greens, mustard greens, nectarines, apples, grapes, cherries, peaches, pears, bell and hot peppers, celery, and tomatoes. So I hope that list kind of will help guide you. And what I want to say is that at the end of the day, what the research says, and from my 11 years of experience in the pediatric feeding space, I know what's most important and I'm telling you what's most important is a balanced diet with lots of exposure to a variety of food, of course, fruits and veggies being ones that we want to give our kids lots and lots of practice with, especially early on to build their love for them and shape their taste buds that is what matters. That is what will set the stage for a lifetime of healthy eating, organic or not. So avoiding produce if you can't afford it or can't access organic is not the answer. I really just want to stress that. It's not the end of the world if you don't offer your child organic foods. It doesn't say anything about you as a parent. You should never, ever, ever feel guilty about it. I never want to hear anyone saying I feel guilty because I'm, I can't buy organic foods or I'm choosing not to. And I want you to know that there's a level of risk to literally everything, and no matter what, we all carry pesticide residues in our body. Unfortunately, it is just a fact of life. It is the state of the world we live in. We all have it, and so this is something you can tackle if, and I mean it, if you have the means to, and after you've got a baseline healthy diet already in place. So work on this if all right. If you've already kind of you figured out the basics of having a healthy diet, and this is one step up. Oh, and it works for you. Okay. So I really hope that this gave you great perspective. I hope you got all the facts that you need. If you found this episode to be valuable, I really, really want to ask you to leave me a review. There was tons of research that that went into this and that goes into every single podcast episode that I put out. And honestly, it's my mission to be able to get this to as many parents as possible. I wanna make this whole process of, of feeding your babies, feeding your child, your toddler easy You know, I don't want it to be overwhelming. I want to remove the stress. And I truly just want you to enjoy this time because it's only a period that comes around once. And if you could leave me a review, that will ensure that this podcast will get pushed out to more people. And it would honestly mean the world to me and it's the best way you can support me. So thank you so, so much in advance. If you're also interested in more topics like this and you want to, you know, you're a researcher, you want to know more information about some nutrition topics for your baby, for your family, you want meals, you want recipe ideas, you want to be able to access me on a more personal basis, you want to be able to troubleshoot, you want a community, all of that good stuff, you are going to love my upcoming membership. It's called the Little Eaters Club. It's going to be launched in just a few weeks and this is going to be the place for you. It's actually for anyone who's already taken a, one of my courses, so either the baby-led feeding or the feeding toddlers course. This is going to give you that extra support, the hand-holding, the ongoing support that you need to continue to be able to feed your kids in a stress-free way and completely healthily. There's going to be guest speakers every single month. There's going to be kind of guided guest um, like activities done by guests, and it's going to be a blast. If you are interested, sign up using the link in my show notes to get on the wait list and that's going to give you access to our founding members pricing which is going to be discounted pricing that you will literally get for life and i think it's going to be an amazing an amazing spot that you're going to love especially if you liked this episode and you really just want to you know be educated in a totally non-judgmental way so that you can do what's right for you and your family and really have that confidence you need. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you all have a great week and I will catch you next week. Bye.